Well, it's good to see you this night and to look on your faces again and to have the joy of standing in the pulpit and bringing the word of the Lord to you and uh, doing some uh, kind of tying up of uh, what are the end of scheduled services. I think it's almost universally thought and said that um, just because the scheduled services are over, it doesn't mean the meeting needs to be over and the work of the Spirit can continue on, and we thank God for that. I'm not, um, I, I'm really not uh, qualified to um, uh, kind of study churches and um, mm, take in stock into, into account what, what all of their advantages or disadvantages or their uh, giftings in a community might be, but but I will say that um, that I have been um, very much aware this week um, in a growing way of how this church is um, positioned in this community and the resources that you have facility uh, in people. Uh, in the uh, quality of your fellowship and love for each other. And um, there, there is a unique opportunity, it appears to me, uh, though I will admit that I may not be qualified to say it, but it appears to me there is a unique opportunity for the Lord through this church in this town and county. And... Um, I commend you for all that you have done that got you to this place and uh, those who have led, left you in the past. Ron, Ron's here tonight. And, um, and yet um, you have important days ahead of you. And uh, you know uh, a town, uh, a county seat in a town like this in this day and age, uh, there's plenty, plenty, plenty to, to do for the Lord People are hurting. Um, people need the Lord. Uh, there's all manner of uh, troubles that people have and, and uh, discouragements. And um, uh, probably uh, rates of divorce and depression and uh, other kinds of, uh, of uh, things like um, alcoholism and drug abuse and things. And, and a small town in a county like this are... Well, they're large, and you, and you know that because you, you know folks. And so, um, I just want to uh, commend you for the opportunity that you have and the way you seem to be going about it and to encourage you. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> the, the thought that just came to my mind was to, to go out and sick them. <laughs> And go after them, but uh, anyway. Um, well, take your Bibles, I'll quit that and get to the sermon here. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And um, we'll attend uh, to the Word of the Lord, uh, beginning at verse 7. I think I'll have you stand for the reading of the Word of God this evening. Galatians 6, beginning at verse 7. Do not be deceived. 
God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all and for those of the household of faith. Verse 7 again, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. Father, help us in these moments as we uh, allow the Spirit to open our hearts and minds and lives to you and speak to us words that you need to say to us for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to make uh, three observations about this uh, teaching tonight um, before I actually get into the sermon proper. Um, The first observation is just to say to you, um, pay attention to the warning. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked on this as nice as... As you are, and I think you're mighty nice, you will reap what you sow. It is in the nature of deception that you do not know you are being deceived until you have been deceived. The evil one does not come along and say, I'm deceiving you. No, he comes along and says, Way to go. You're on the right path. You're doing good. Just a little further. Just a little further. And then you get down to the end. And you have been deceived. Deception happens as a result of attitudes and patterns and habits that are off target. uh, Really, uh, just ever so slightly. In the last days, the scripture says, many will depart from the faith. No, no one really gets up on a given day and says, I'm done with this. What happens is, they, there is a gradual weakening of passion and insight and a weakening of your vows and commitments to the Lord and, until your faith um, succumbs or falls prey to doubt And uh, till you fall prey to the sin of prayerlessness, uh, to self-centered living and unrighteousness, and finally, you fall away. It's just a a little bit of a shortcoming here, and a bit of a turn here, and a compromise here, and I'm too tired to deal with it here, and pretty soon you're you're way away. And that's how you fall away. So, pay attention to the warning. Don't, don't be deceived. It says in, in 1 John to test the spirits to see if they are from God. To prove them by trial. How, how susceptible are you to being deceived? How susceptible are you to, uh, to being tricked by the Spirit? 
What is your test for the Spirit? Test the spirits, the Scripture says. What's your test? If I said to you that I was um, thinking about leaving the present assignment that I have at Olivet and was going to take a different assignment, but I wasn't exactly sure if God was, going, was calling me to that, and I, I wanted to just make sure, and I wanted to test the spirits to see if they were from God, and, uh, and I wanted to use your test... And so, if you would tell me your test for testing the Spirit, then I would use your test. What would you say to me? Well, I submit to you, it's right in that moment of hesitation that our susceptibility to being, test, to, to being deceived lies. The best thing I ever read on testing the Spirit's was written by a man named Martin Wells Knapp, who said that impressions from above, or if the Spirit is leading, the Spirit of God is leading, impressions from above will always meet all four of these tests. One, is it scriptural? Two, is it right? Is it right as revealed in man's moral conscience? Is it providential? Did God, uh, has He opened the door for you, or did you have to kick it open? And is it reasonable as your mind is illuminated by the Spirit? I don't say this to scare you. I don't say it uh, for any other reason but to caution you. Uh, Do not be deceived. That's the first observation. Pay attention to the warning. The second observation is to say that the uh, warning is set in the discussion between flesh and spirit. It says very clearly... If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. We often think about the uh, dilemma between the flesh and the Spirit uh, using uh, the Scripture in earlier in Galatians in chapter 5 at verse 16 about the flesh and it being opposed to the Spirit. I'll read those verses. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. These are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. And then this list. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrel, dissension, faction, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And most of the time when we hear, when we hear uh, um, um, a sermon or teaching on flesh and spirit, that's the list we think of. This obvious list, fornication, idolatry, these, these, these kind of horrendous things. Listen to me. The delusion is to think that um, I'm sowing to the Spirit when I'm actually sowing to the flesh. And the assumption is that we're not fleshly if I'm not doing these things. But I'll say to you, there's a whole lot of living between this list and sowing to the Spirit. The, the idea that if I'm, if I'm not doing this, then what I'm doing must automatically be to the Spirit is sapping the vitality out of our churches. I mean, hard-headedness didn't make this list, but I'll guarantee you it is a self-preservation 
attitude. Having to have your own way. Quitting when it doesn't go your way. Two, two uh, young boys, five years of age. Um, one has a new toy and the other comes over to play with it. And the boy who owns the toy uh, decides that the visitor isn't playing with it quite right. And he takes it in the house and puts it in the closet so the visitor can't use it. We say, well, that's just five-year-old little boys. When 50-year-old men say, I'm not going to let you treat me that way anymore. Or if you don't do it my way, you got another whole set of dilemmas. And, and I'll say to you, it is a delusion to think that that kind of um, self-preservation, uh, that kind of it's my way or the highway, that kind of what's in it for me attitude is, um, is fully sowing to the flesh, not sowing to the Spirit, even though it didn't make the list in Galatians 5. Are you following me? The warning is there. God will not be mocked on this. The discussion is between the spirit and flesh. And we're probably a lot closer to the flesh than we would imagine. It's kind of a sensual... Well, we've, we've kind of lost the word sensual. It... Uh, the word sensual in this day and age almost always is equated with sexual. But it is a sensual Christianity that, that, that wants Christianity to make sense according to our own mind. According to how it pleases me or how I figure it out. It's, it's, it's not, uh, not uncommon for a pastor to hear, well about some teaching, someone might say, well, that's not how I read my Bible. Or someone might say, such and such, such and such. Uh, I'm pleading tonight. I, I haven't even started the sermon yet. I'm still in the introduction. If you don't give me a few more amens, we're going to be stuck in this introduction for a long time. Thank you. There we go. I'm pleading tonight for Christ-centered living. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. As nice as you are, you're a nice group. You'll reap what you sow. Well, let's, let's work with the text. Number one, God only brings a spiritual harvest where there is a sowing to the Spirit, capital S. Sowing, active voice, you sow seeds to the Spirit. The language of this text um, uh, indicates this is a principle that is always true. There is never one time it is not true. If you sow to the Spirit of God, you will reap a harvest from that Spirit. 
if you fear that, and maybe we should, if we're not going to commit ourselves to sowing to the Spirit, we should fear it. But if we rally to it, if we commit ourselves to sowing seeds to the Spirit, it will lead to blessing and fulfillment, and it will add to the kingdom of God. To sow to the Spirit. Here's my definition of sowing to the Spirit of God. To sow to the Spirit is to plant a seed with God that will result in some spiritual blessing in your life or in someone else's life, in my life or in someone else's life. To sow to the Spirit is to plant a seed with God so that it will result in a spiritual blessing in my life or in someone else's life. To plant a seed with God. Some vow, some promise, some commitment, some act, some cup of cold water, some note, some something done to another person, but offered up to God so that God has a fighting chance of bringing a spiritual harvest out of that seed that has been sown. You have to trust that principle. There is a relationship. I'm not big into formulas. This is about as close as I get. There is a relationship between sowing to the Spirit, capital S, and a harvest of spiritual victory in the lives of persons. Some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. And this text is a warning, but it is more than a warning, it is an incredible promise. If we will sow seed to God, if we will sow seed to the Spirit of God, it will give God a fighting chance to bring a spiritual harvest. He cannot, He cannot bring a harvest where no seed is sown for Him to work in. To do such a thing, we... We, we have to become intentional about acts of sowing. How can I manage my life, my time, my resources, my, my daily activities, that, so it will enhance the kingdom of God? I feel like, and found in my life, and am offering it here in this service to you, that if I'm going to purposefully sow to the Spirit of God, I've, I've got to learn to do, really, the common and ordinary things as a way of sowing seed. Now, it's not just these things, and I'm going to get to some others, but let me just first say them. Um, things like uh, family prayer time. Praying with the children, family meal time, special times with your children, times where, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they know, and, and I, I don't just mean um, sometimes the quick prayers that we say, maybe at the dinner table or something, but let me try to illustrate it. Uh, when, when my children were, were our children, <laughs> not just mine, uh, uh, when, when our children were, were younger, uh, I traveled quite a bit during those days. So when I was home, uh, FaceTime with those children was important. And um, if, if, uh, 
If I had an errand to run, I, I almost always took one of them with me. Now, early on, they really liked to go because they thought they might get something, like if we went to the store. And, but, but, but when they realized I wasn't buying anything, then they kind of drew straws to see who had to go with Dad. But nonetheless, I, I would take them with me. Now, in that ride to the store, there's a lot of things you can talk about. And they're probably all okay. You can be a fine father to just be in the car and say, How'd your day go? School going all right? Da-da-da-da. You can be a fine dad and do that. But if you want to sow to the Spirit, you can say things like this. Did I ever tell you about when I came to trust in Jesus? Or you could say, I've been reading my Bible this week. I want to tell you what God is telling me. Or you could say, this is my favorite Bible verse. Do you have one? Now, I know it's maybe a bit awkward. I'll just tell you, I want my kids to know my spiritual history. I I wanted my children to know there was a day that I was lost and a day when I was found. And I want them to know what that moment was like. I want them to hear it. If I cry telling it, that's even all the better. Sowing to the Spirit. Now, 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 see, you can, now, now just, I'm, I'm, just hang on here with me. Um, it's the last night. I'm leaving town in the morning. If you don't like me after tonight, it's okay, I guess. Um, but um, listen, you, you can't just hope that your child will have a spiritual breakthrough If you're leaving it to somebody else to plant all the seeds. You you, you can't just hope that that the things that you value about the spiritual life will be values that they hang on to if you hadn't found a way to articulate how valuable that is to you. Learning to do common, ordinary things. How ordinary is going to the store for a gallon of milk? But it can be turned into a moment, a moment when you are transmitting a spiritual value to your child. Sowing to the Spirit. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked on this. We're going to reap what we sow. We, we can end up reaping some really fine citizens. Two-thirds of our children could stay in Pike County and live here and take over the family job. 
But if they don't know Jesus, what do we gain? If I'm going to consider the act, the issue of sowing, I've, I've got to, I've got to sow some seed, plant a seed, leave it with God, and hope He can bring a harvest. I also have to attend to spiritual matters. Now, in some ways, it's kind of awkward to talk to the, you know, talk, I'm preaching to the choir. You've been here nearly every night, and I hear that, and I appreciate that. But I just want to remind you that um, we've got to attend to spiritual matters. Our Bible reading, our study of the Word. Uh, you know, su- Sunday school isn't just to count noses to beat the other church on the district so the pastor can get a new fishing pole at the district assembly. That, that's not why we have Sunday school. We have Sunday school so that we can talk about the Word of God and the truths of God can come to us. We, we ask people to have a, a, a private, quiet time of devotion and to study their, their Bibles and to read from them and, and, and ask God to teach them. And, and God will do that. Statistics show that, that born-again adults spend an average of seven times more hours each week watching television than they do participating in spiritual pursuits such as Bible reading, prayer, and worship combined. They spend twice as much money on entertainment as they donate to the church. Of all born-again Christians, only 8% tithe. And they spend more time surfing the web than they do conversing with God in prayer. In the last 30 years in North America, the dominant type of Christianity has been our type, evangelical Christianity. It hasn't been Roman Catholicism. The dominant type in the last 30 years has been evangelical Christianity. But the last 30 years has also seen the greatest amount of moral decay. And that's been on our watch. Attend to the spiritual matters. Um, it it may be costly to do that Uh, in fact Jesus said unless a seed falls into the ground and dies And so the business of sowing seed isn't always easy to do, especially when you move that arena from family to somebody else's children or some neighbor or bringing some somebody in. I mean, what 
what will we do if we bring visitors in and they sit in seats that have kind of been, you know, that's somebody else's seat. What, what will we do about that? And if we have too many children, if they run around and, you know, what, what are we going to do? I mean, I mean, sowing seed is costly, but um, there has to be a break with sowing seed that doesn't give God a chance to bring a harvest. I mean, if do, do, do you realize what is at stake? To start with, your own personal growth is at stake. The scripture says to discipline yourself, prepare your mind for action, train yourself like, a, like an athlete uh, training in a gymnasium, discipline yourselves for godliness. Discipline there is the, the Greek word gymnazo. We get, the, we get the word gymnasium from that. And frankly, everything I know about athletic training and exercise, I really don't like. <laughs> I, I told my wife one time for Christmas, I said, let, let's put our money together and buy an exercise bicycle. And uh, she was so glad that I would actually consider doing such a thing. She said, okay, and we put our money together and I ordered it. Of course, typical to the male ego, I, I couldn't buy just any exercise bicycle. I had to buy one that was kind of a fan thing and the arms went back and forth and it had this little screen with all this information on it that would tell you how fast you were going and how far you had ridden, what your heart rate was, what your heart rate ought to be, what, uh, uh, how many calories you had burned. And all of that was information that gathered from a little clip that was on your ear that hurt like the dickens. I, I'd rather ride in the dark than to know all that stuff. I hadn't been on that exercise bicycle five minutes before I realized that was a gigantic waste of good Christmas money. <laughs> At the time, our niece Sandy was living with us and she came home from school one day and got on the exercise bicycle and broke it. <laughs> There's a God in Israel. I was so glad. Oh man, was I glad. I took that thing and put it in the basement got all the boxes I could corral, stacked them up in front of that. I didn't want to look at that, didn't want to see it. Get it out of my sight. Then my wife comes to me one day and she says, you know, the warranty's about up on that bike. You ought to find out whether they're going to fix it or not. I said, we don't have the warranty papers. And true to the female ego, she produces the warranty papers. <laughs> So I called the 800 number and talked to Dolores in Birmingham, Alabama. She said, send me a picture. I sent her the darkest, most out-of-focus picture I could ever find. Take, I sent that to her. She called me and she said, you are right. That is broken. And she said, she said, but the good news is I have started the paperwork and you should be receiving by yellow freight a brand new exit. I was so mad at her. <laughs> I'm telling you, I own that bicycle for maybe 10 years. I don't think I have 10 miles on that bike. And, uh, and I know there are some in this room who have exercise equipment just like that. It's in your house. 
And you're not using it. You're using it to hang your clothes on and stuff like that. I know. Exercise. Most everything I know about it, I don't like. An athlete training. Discipline yourself like an athlete trains for athletic competition. Athletes, they weren't born in sporting goods stores. They worked hard. You say they make too much money. They probably do. Let's see if we can garnish their wages for a year and pay the national debt. I don't know, but I'll say this to you. They work hard to get where they're at. And it is that kind of imagery that the Scripture says you and I ought to be lugging it towards holy living. Now, does that sound to you like there's not much price to pay in there? Does it sound to you like, you know, if I feel like it, I'm going to do it. If I don't feel like it, I won't do it. Don't don't be deceived. God's not going to be mocked on this. You're going to reap what you sow. And if you sow to the Spirit of God, you will reap a harvest of the Spirit. What's at stake is your own spiritual growth. What's at stake is the spiritual heritage with your family. What's at stake are the people around us who need the Lord. Do you know anybody who needs the Lord? Anybody you work with? Anybody who opens a locker door next to you? Anybody that... That, that, that you've lived next to in your neighborhood? Do you know what is 750,000 miles long, circles the globe 30 times, and grows 20 miles longer every day? 750,000 miles long, circles the globe 30 times, and grows 20 miles longer since we were here last night. It's the line of people standing shoulder to shoulder who are without Christ and without hope. It is a miserable line. It is the justice line. The scripture says that um, God will treat no one unjustly. They will get exactly what they deserve based on what they've done in light of what they know. The Scripture teaches what may be known about God has been made plain and evident to all persons. They're in the justice line. Now, now I am not in the justice line. I'm in the mercy line. I pled the blood of Christ. He has forgiven me. He has thrown my sin as far as the east is from the west. And I have been birthed into His family and adopted into His family. And I am a child of God. I am in the mercy line. Amen. But the way I read my Bible, he would leave the whole 99 of us in the mercy line to get one person out of the justice line. But how is he going to do that if no seed are sown to get them out of that line and into the mercy line? See, he can only bring a harvest where seed is sown in their life. Some vow, some act, some commitment, some cup of water, some note, some ride to school, some being kind to them, some, some something. 
done to them, but offered up to God so that he has a fighting chance of turning that into a spiritual victory. He, he doesn't need us to tell them they're sinners. They know. He doesn't really need to, us to tell them they're living a hopeless life. They know. He needs us to tell them where we found bread. He needs us to tell them where we found victory. Where we found forgiveness. Where we found a new start. Don't, don't be deceived. If we don't sow seed to the Spirit, these seeds will remain empty. Maybe I ought to ask if it even matters to you. My guess is you've heard of a preacher named John Maxwell. John Maxwell for years was pastor of the Skyline Wesleyan Church in San Diego, California. Eventually began to lead uh, pastors, groups of pastors in leadership. And, and, and he no longer pastors, but that's what he did for many, many years. At a Wesleyan General um, Assembly which, you know, they're, the Wesleyans and the Nazarenes track just about the same. We're in districts, they're in districts. We have district assemblies, they have district assemblies. We have general assemblies, they, you know, so it's theirs and they're, all, and they're just like ours. They have a missionary convention, they have a youth convention, they have a Sunday school convention, it's the same deal. The evangelism gathering one, one night, he was the main speaker at the Wesleyan denominational evangelism gathering and his sermon title for the denomination was why brokenness is hindered in my life. Number one, the fast pace of life. Number two, I'm unwilling to be vulnerable and honest. Number three, my own immaturity. Number four, I live isolated from the world. Number five, I have misplaced priorities. Number six, my own personal needs are met. I'm happy they ought to be happy. Number seven, my perspective is too narrow. Number eight, I avoid painful situations in life. Number nine, I make excuses for my own sin. Number ten, I ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit to my life. Anybody else live at those addresses? <laughs> Don't, don't be deceived. I, I, I really don't want this sermon to be a threat. I really want it to be a rallying cry. To sow seed, we'll reap a harvest. I've never had a church take me up on this. But I'll throw it out there to see if you will. I wish when we came to church every Sunday, we had to write down... We, 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 we wrote down, I probably shouldn't say had, we, we wrote down how many seed we sowed that week. I sent three letters, 
four cups of water. I called two people who were discouraged. I took this friend out to lunch. I, I wish we kept those numbers, Pastor. And we just got it in our psyche that if we keep doing enough of that, there will be a harvest. One of those days, one of those people will say, every time I'm thirsty, that God brings me water. What's the deal? I'm as low as I can be. I have no friends, but that guy is interested in me. What's the deal? And God has a chance. If I said to you, do you believe that the blood of Christ shed on the cross of Calvary would avail to save every man, woman, boy or girl in this line, this incredible justice line, you would say to me, oh yes, anyone who believes will be saved. The blood of Christ would do it. And I'd say to you that if we do not sow seed, it is as if we are turning the flow off right at the spigot. He will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. Sow seed to the Spirit. <clears throat> when uh, Gwen and I moved back to Nashville at the start of our years in evangelism, we, we moved back to Nashville just to be around family because I knew I was going to be gone a lot and I wanted Gwen to have some help. And, and so there we were. And we went back to my home church and on the first Sunday that we were back, we went to Sunday school and uh, we, we took the children to their classes and I took Emily and Drew and then uh, Katie, uh, Gwen took Katie and I met, I, I met them at the door and the lady then that met Katie bent over and said, what is your name? I'm Mrs. Hooper and Katie said, I'm Katie Benson. Well, hi Katie, are you Mike Benson's little girl? She said, yes. She said, Katie, did you know that when Mike Benson was in the third grade, I met him at this door? And she has been teaching third graders for 30 plus years. Now, I'll just tell you, my, my guess is there's some days Mrs. Hooper is tired and isn't quite sure she can get her arthritic fingers to tie those shoes she wears. Mrs. Hooper doesn't have any splash, really. She's kind of old school, I guess you'd say. Her husband, Marvin, worked at a local factory there in town a very quiet man came home one day and surprised her and said he was taking retirement and he would be finished with his work career in one week. She was excited, finally gets her husband back. He had been home one week and had a massive heart attack and went home to be with the Lord. And now Mrs. Hooper is by herself. They st she still lives in the same house she and Marvin lived in. She backs out of the same driveway, drives past the same restaurants they frequented, pulls in the parking lot, puts about the same place, sits about the same place in church. You think there are days Ms. Hooper ever thinks somebody else can do this? 
She wouldn't say it to you exactly this way, but what she believes is you got to sow seed. You got to stand up and take your place. God is not going to be mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. If you sow seed to the Spirit, some vow, some act, some commitment, some promise, some cup of water, some note, some kindness, some something done to another person, but offered up to the Lord so that the Lord has a chance to bring a harvest in that seed. You will reap a harvest. One of the years that I was pastoring, I was the district NYI president, and it was a year that we took students to uh, the NYC, Nazarene Youth Congress, and this particular year it was in Miami, Florida. That kind of dates me, but that's when we went, and We had about 125 students that went and a good group of of, um, uh, chaperones that went. And I was really glad about that. And uh, so off we go. Now, I'll just tell you, the worrier in me, I I just just knew something was going to happen. I I don't know why. I don't guess. But but I just thought some of those kids from Kansas, they're really going to like Florida and they're not going to want to go back home. They're going to run away, and I've got to keep up with all of them. And I was just, I was weirded out. You you know what it's like when a parent gets weirded out. I know you do. I was just, I was crazy. And uh, anyway, so, uh, and and I'll say this to you, uh, getting them moving in the right direction on time was, was like a nightmare. Now, this, uh, uh, I think you know this, but the the uh, all of those young people at a, at one of those NYC youth congresses, I mean they have a great time, but they also do service projects. At this particular congress, there were about five thousand students, and they all uh, did about eight hours worth of volunteer service. So you do the math; that's about forty thousand hours. And the city of Orlando was totally grateful for that. And some of the work was, was just pure civic work, where they cleaned parks or they worked different playgrounds or whatever. Other work was like they'd worked for the, in the soup line for Salvation Army. And then some of it was straight church work. Our group was one of the group that was helping a local Nazarene church with a new plant, a new start at a, at a, at a church. It's, it, it's a, a Lutheran church in the area had relocated the Nazarenes had bought their old building and we went in and did a facelift on that building inside and out. Now, my particular group, our deal was to canvass the neighborhood announcing that we were going to have the start date the next week. Our work wasn't as hard as the guys who had to work in the yard, but it was hot and we were tired and so we were trying to get it all going and we had a certain window of time. I had to get them on the bus at 3 o'clock because it was an hour and a half back to the hotel. And that gave me one hour to get 125 teenagers dressed and ready for dinner. And of the 125 teenagers, 73 were girls. 
and I had an hour and a half. And, um, but we made it, and okay. So, anyway, I, I, it, we, I'm picking him up on the bus, and it's the last one, and I open the door, and the last ones come in, and uh, two guys got on, and then a girl down at the bottom. I said, come on, get on the bus. We're going to make it on time. She said, I'm not going to get on the bus right now. I want you to come with me to meet somebody I've met. I said, we don't have time to go meet somebody you've met. Get on the bus. She said, I'm not getting on the bus. I said, Tiffany, I will fine you if you don't get on the bus. And I had a healthy, a healthy series of fines levied that trip. I collected so much money in fines that at the end of the trip, I took 125 teenagers and the counselors and the bus drivers out for Italian dinner, paid the whole bill, and paid for the tip out of the fines I collected. I said, Tiffany, I'm going to fine you. She said, I don't care. I've got the money. I'm not getting on the bus. Okay. I knew if I went with her, I could cut my losses. So I went with her, and we go, and, and about four doors up, up the driveway, the garage doors up, and there's this guy in there, and he is massive. He... He, he's, he's got his workout clothes on and t- uh, muscles just bulging and a, a big Fu Manchu and a bandana. He looked like the kind of guy you hoped and pray your daughter didn't bring home. He, he was just huge. And she said, uh, Mike, this is Keith. Keith, this is Mike. <laughs> Hi, Keith. How are you, buddy? <laughs> and uh, we visited for a little bit. And Tiffany said, I have invited Keith to come sit with us at the service tonight. That's all right, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Keith, you come, buddy. <laughs> it's open seating. 5,000 teams. I'm sure you'll find us. Of course, I was thinking maybe he wouldn't. <laughs> Incredibly, on the strength of that girl's invitation, Keith drove an hour and a half across town to sit in a service with a group of teens he'd never met. The service was over, and he came back to the hotel with us, and Tiffany and her boyfriend and some other teens and Keith were out on the balcony, and they were talking about the Lord. And then Keith said, you know, I I need to go. I've got to get to work early. Tiffany said, would you come back tomorrow? Well, maybe. Incredibly, on the strength of that invitation, he came back the next night. Service was over. He ends up back at the hotel. This time he's in my room. There's me and the guy I'm sharing the room with and Tiffany and her boyfriend and Keith. And we're talking about the Lord. It doesn't always work this way, but that particular night, I... I, kept trying to get the questions and present the gospel around to him in a way that kind of picked up on this kind of rough, tough guy he was. And, and I said, so, so tell me, Keith, are you telling me you don't need a Savior? Or are you telling me you need a Savior? Oh, I need a Savior, he said. Would... Would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior tonight? Yes, I would. Could we pray together? Yes, but I've never prayed. Keith, if we got down on our knees by this bed and and I started praying, do you think you could repeat after me? 
And he said yes. And so we prayed and did the sinner's prayer. Got about halfway through and the guy's crying. You get the big guy's crying. You know, you're, you're on the way. And so we kept going, kept going. And, and, and Keith was gloriously saved that night. It was a wonderful, wonderful night. And Tiffany, when he got saved, Tiffany was over in the corner doing the teenage version of shouting. <laughs> yes! Yes! She, she was so excited. And we visited a little bit longer and figured out how to get Keith connected to a youth group. And he left. We, we hope to see him in heaven. Tiffany was getting ready to leave. I said, wait a minute, Tiffany, talk, talk to me a minute. Tell me what this means to you. Well, she said, you know, I've only been a Christian for 11 months. And um, the youth group where I'm a part, uh, they... They talked about going to a place in Florida. There would be 5,000 Christian teens. She said, I've, I've never been around 5,000 Christians. And I wanted to go. So I made application and was chosen to go. But she said, you know, I, I get a lot of trips. And my, their family was pretty wealthy. And she said, I don't really need another trip. So I didn't want it to just be another trip. So she said, I made a vow. And, and, and she said, uh, I, I have been going down to school to the church Every morning before school, praying that God would help me to make the difference in one person's life while I was down here in Florida. Just one person's life. Well, I, I, was, I, I was pretty humiliated. I haven't prayed every day for what was nine months for any one thing in my life. And here this Kansas farm girl had pretty much taken me to the woodshed. I called her pastor. I know him. Jeffrey, what's going on up there? What do you mean? I said, well, Tiffany. He said, well, Tiffany, she's a special girl. He said, she's been coming down here. There's her and about four other students. And they they meet down here at the church and pray before school every day. And he said, if you got in there, he said, it's real prayers. They're praying for... Billy, that he'll stop drinking and they're praying that Julie's dad will leave her alone and they're praying for the science teacher who's a Christian but his his wife isn't and she has left him and he is so discouraged and they don't they're praying that he'll hold on to his faith and they're praying for their trip some vow some commitment, some promise, some act, some note, some something. Done to another person, but offered up to the Lord. So he has a fighting chance to bring harvest. Because if we don't sow seed, there's no harvest. I want you to bow your heads with me, please, tonight. And I want you to think about making such a vow. Now, you might not know exactly what that's going to look like right now. And I'm not asking that you have it all figured out. I'm just asking.
Would you make a vow, a commitment? You're going to start sowing seed. Giving God a chance to bring a harvest. Sometimes it's big, like a 30-year run as a third grade teacher. Or a teenager getting up a little bit early to go down to church to pray. Sometimes it's pretty common. A note, a phone call. Just saying to somebody, you've been on my mind, how are you? We're going to get down to the end of this service and I'm going to ask you if you'll make a vow. Do not be deceived. If you and I will sow seed to the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God will reap a harvest of spiritual victory. We just sow the seed. We don't have to be clever or crafty. We don't have to be better at it than the next church. All we have to do is just sow seed and give God an opportunity. If you are willing to to make such a vow, I want a chance to pray for you before we go home tonight. And I'm going to ask you to come and stand here in the front so that I can just pray for you. You come now, if you want to make such a vow, I'm going to sow seed to God. You come. Father, look down upon this sight tonight. It must be pleasing to you to see men and women of a variety of ages, all of whom you have given spiritual gifts for ministry, say, I'll make a vow And I'm going to sow some seed. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work out. And and that's okay. Some plants, some water. God gives the increase. But but Father, I, I don't want my days to be filled with just me. I want to sow some seed for you. Help me uh, to, to, to be able to see places to send a note or say a kind word or ask a question of interest about someone or... Maybe invite some, someone's children to come to church with my children or some something, but, but done so that you, you have a chance to bring a harvest out of that seed that we have sown. I, I pray, Father, that um, you, you would put in our mind's eye right now the face of a person that is on your heart right now, and you want them to be on our heart. And help us to 
pray for that person and to pray about how we can sow a seed. We, we, th- this is not an issue of theological training. It's not an issue of a call to preach. It's an issue of kindness. Of saying to another person, I want to tell you what I've seen, what has happened to me, where I have found bread and water, where I've found forgiveness and hope. Can I help you? Help us, Father, to sow seed for the kingdom of God. You have this congregation placed in this community and county in a most wonderful place. And the resources that are here in this congregation are the result of the blessings you have poured out upon people and of their stewardship and generosity back. And all of that is wonderful. But Father, help us to use these things for the sake of the kingdom of the Christ we love. In the name of Christ, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Now, before you go back to your seats, let me, let me say one thing to you. I don't know whether your Sunday school superintendent and your pastor are going to start putting a list out on the table for you to write down how many seeds you sowed that week. But whether they do or not, something that will help you is to have one other person ask you each week, how'd your seed sowing go? They don't have to ask you the results, just how did it go? And on Sunday, and I encourage you to find someone, maybe even before you go home tonight, and say, when I get back next Sunday, I want you to ask me, did I sow any seed for the gospel? Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Go in the Lord's grace and peace. You're the best.